It's good to see you this morning. It's the beginning of a new year and a new Sunday, and I have a new voice now, as you can tell. So uh, all things are new. Let's bow our heads together and let's pray. All right, Heavenly Father, we just dedicate this time, our presence here, our lives once again afresh to you this morning. We just thank you for your goodness, your greatness, your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for us. We've been thanking you for that already this morning, but we thank you once again. We just acknowledge our desperate need for wisdom, for life from you. So would you speak to us from your word? And would you help us to have the wisdom to obey, to walk in your ways, and to give you credit for everything good that happens in our lives? Be with us now. This is our prayer. We offer it together in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, there's an old saying that most of you have heard, I'm sure. It goes like this. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. That's right. You can see a little picture here. It's kind of a nice picture of an old dog. I'd have used a Sam picture, but Sam, our dog, is now with Jesus. So, uh, so I had to find another dog, but I thought this, uh, this filled the bill for what uh, when I wanted to want to do this morning. I just want to ask you, I mean, is that something you believe? That you can't teach an old dog new tricks? A cable TV show that I enjoy occasionally watching is called Mythbusters. Some of you have seen it before. I uh, enjoy it. It's, it's, you know, one of those entertaining things that's out there. It's real clean and just a lot of fun. And show likes to take time-worn adages like this one and see if they're true or false. They find ways to test them. A while back, Mythbusters hosts uh, Jamie and Adam decided to go after this particular myth, and uh, they found a pair of senior Alaskan Malamutes who didn't know a lick, just didn't, didn't know, you know their uh, sit from stand or anything else. And the Malamutes are known, if you know dogs at all, know that they're known for being really stubborn dogs. That's why they use them as mushers and all kinds of other things. But uh, Jamie and Adam thought that these would be good candidates good candidates for their test. And after four days of training, and again, did I say they were senior dogs? Four days of training and numerous naps. Lots of napping going on at that age. And uh, you know what they discovered? They discovered that even as old dogs, Bobo and Cece could each heal and sit and lie down and stay and shake upon command. Uh, they could still look handsome, pretty, and uh, the show's conclusion was, the myth was busted. You can teach old dogs new tricks. As we begin a new year, every one of us can benefit probably from a few new tricks, right? It's good news for all of us. Uh, as 2020 begins, it's just a reminder that change is possible. Your life can be different than it has been. It is possible if you and I will seek God and uh, align our lives with the kinds of things that would lead us to somewhere different than where we've been. As 2020 begins, maybe this is the year that you want to lose weight. Maybe it's the year that you want to get organized or spend less and save more. Maybe this is the year that you've decided, I am going to enjoy life more. I'm going to stay fit and healthy this year. I'm going to learn something new, something exciting, instead of just the same old, same old, which has been my pattern. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've decided, this is the year I'm going to quit smoking. This is the year I'm going to give up alcohol. This is the year that I'm going to help someone else achieve their dreams, or I'm going to fall in love or I'm going to spend more time with my family instead of more time on a computer at work. 
I'm going to do this or that. Maybe something else has been prompted, you've been prompted about, but this 2020 is a new opportunity for you and me to leave the past in the past and to chart a new course for a new year, for a new you, for a new me. You can leave, learn some new tricks. You really can. And as we consider this morning for the next few minutes how God might want to focus might want us to focus our efforts as we begin this year, I want to direct our attention to a wonderful passage of Scripture. It's found in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you have your Bible, turn there with me this morning. If you don't have one, you can follow on the screen. I uh, just encourage you to make note of this passage. This is a rich passage of Scripture. Uh, the verses before it and after it are, are great, passage, uh, great verses, but uh, in the interest of managing our time, we're going to focus on uh, these four verses Verses 7 to 10 of 1 Timothy chapter 4. Uh, Paul here in this passage directs his young protege, Timothy, on where to focus his efforts so he can make his life count for God. And uh, in light of that, it's a really relevant passage for all of us this morning. Let's look at these verses together. Just follow along in your Bible or on the screen. This is what the passage says in the New Living Translation. Do not waste time arguing over godless ideas in old wives' tales... Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. And this is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God who is the Savior of all people, and particularly of all believers." This passage reveals several scriptural New Year's resolutions. If I want to break it down, I can highlight the ones I'm going to mention this morning. I could probably find others if I spent more time, you know, just if we had more time, honestly, to, to break it all down. But each of us need to make these kinds of resolutions, and 2020 can be a new you, a new me kind of year if we'll take them seriously. And my hope is this morning, as I walk you through these verses this morning, that you'll listen close uh, that you'll listen uh, to the counsel of Scripture here. It's not the counsel of Greg Montague. It's the counsel of Scripture. Uh, let me just tell you, I'm not that smart. And neither are you or the person sitting next to you. I mean, we need the counsel of God, the counsel of Scripture here. And this morning we will look at these verses. And my hope is that you'll listen close so that you can put them into practice because it will lead to blessing in your life now and blessing in your life far, far, far into the future. So the first resolution that just is really clear here in the passage as you start reading is that we need to treasure time. And verse 7 just starts out, do not waste time. It starts out, and then it begins to illustrate right after that. He's just saying, don't waste time. And so let me just pause right there and just say there, shall I say, there are a plethora of ways that you and I can waste time in our day, right? You like my word? A plethora. Many like an abundance. It's like an overflowing list of ways we can waste time. Now, now the biblical writer Paul here, he, he, he illustrates by saying, don't waste your time arguing. Of course, that was something that happened way back then. doesn't happen anymore, does it? You know, it just, we, we, we don't mess with arguing. That was what they did. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas, old wives' tales, impeachment inquiries, Oh, that's right, that isn't in the text. Uh, I, I could write a lot of things, but the, you, this is the point that Paul's trying to make to us is that 
We live during a time in history when there is a never a seemingly endless list of things that you and I can argue over, waste time over. We can binge watch sports. We can binge watch news. We can binge watch old office episodes. You know, we can binge Facebook, right? We can binge YouTube videos, all the while endlessly internet shopping, right? And then we get done, and what are we? Tired. We complain about how tired I am and how busy I've been. But we've sat in the recliner the whole time. We have not moved one muscle except for a finger. That's all we've done. This is the world we live in. And God is saying to you and me, I believe just as relevant as, as in, in ancient times, God is saying, friends, remember, time is limited. Look at this picture. I love this picture, this little uh, hourglass here when it comes up, and Shialu will find it here in just a moment, I'm sure. But it's, uh, it's just a reminder to us when you find it, Shialu, just bring it up. I think it's in there somewhere in the pictures. <coughs> Excuse me. It's just a reminder that time, the sands of time are endlessly, endlessly, uh, just constantly moving. And guess what? They do run out. They do run out. You don't have an endless life in this body, this side of heaven. And God's just saying to us, if you want 2020 to count, if you want your life to count, don't waste time. Particularly don't waste time arguing. Don't waste time on all these other electronic things that honestly would just make you tired and make it harder for you to accomplish real life. We need a resolve to treasure our time, to treasure it. Which brings us to a second resolution that each of us needs to make. And verse 7 just says, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. But then it goes on, the text goes on in verse 8. Look at verse 8, it just says, physical training, we need to train ourselves. Physical training is good. It's good. Let's just pause right there. We just need to train ourselves. And toned muscles, the passage is acknowledging, cardio strength, keeping cholesterol and sugar in check, all of these things and a long list of others, all good. Pay attention to that. We should. Let's walk. Let's sleep. Let's eat like we should. But read the rest of verse 8. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. It's much better. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. And the end of verse 7 emphasizes this, just saying to you and me, train yourself to be godly. It's, the passage is just conveying that if you want 2020 to, to, be, to be a new you kind of year in a way that God would be pleased with and that you would ultimately in the long term are going to look back and say, I'm so glad that I lived my life this way. You and I need to pay attention to spiritual training and I want you to hear this. In our world that is filled with tantalizing, trivial pursuits, right here, God is saying, prioritize matters of the soul. He's saying, prioritize matters of the soul. Spiritual training is much better. If your parents, if you're a parent, Prioritize the matters of your soul. 
Prioritize the matters of the soul for your children. Guess what? Your kids don't drive to the youth group. Your kids don't make it into, into the children's ministry They're on their own. I mean, you've got to bring them. If you don't prioritize matters of the soul, guess what? They will conclude by your choice that, you know, the matters of the soul, hmm, nice, not essential. That's the best. The worst, they'll conclude that it's irrelevant because that's the message of our culture constantly. You know, if you're a politician or a soldier, if you're an educator, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a business leader, whatever you are in life, prioritize matters of the soul. Why would I say that? Because in about 50 years, nothing else is going to matter. And honestly, for some of us, it's not going to be 50 years. It could be next week. It could be today. Jesus said it this way, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits what? His soul. Implication, it can happen, it does happen, and real people like you and me do it. It's a matter of priority. You have to make a living? Of course you do. Your kids have to, you know, grow up and get through college? No. First of all, I'll just say that. No. In my experience, college was a problem for my children. One of them in particular. They don't have to go to college. Do they have to earn a living? Yes, they do. We would all agree on that. But we must think differently. We must prioritize matters of the soul. Matters of the soul, which brings us to a third resolution that we need to make. We're going to prioritize matters of the soul. If we're, if we're truly going to train ourselves, not just physically, but spiritually, third resolution is we've got to trust Scripture. Believing and obeying this book, believing what it says, even when it contradicts our lives, and maybe let me say, that, say it this way, especially when it contradicts my lives, believing this book, especially when it contradicts my life, is a key to all spiritual training and godliness. You see, what happens in our culture is I agree with this book, and so I, I like read it and I like that. But the issue is what happens when it disagrees with my life? This is when it matters to trust, notice what I said, trust Scripture. Trusting Scripture. I uh, think the Scripture says it really quite well in this passage. 2 Timothy chapter 3. It describes itself this way. It kind of gives this its own explanation of what Scripture is. It just says, and, and before I even start reading this, I want you to understand, as I'm reading this to you, I'm reading it out of the New Testament in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. But when it refers to all Scripture here in this next passage, uh, well, actually, it's not on the screen, so sorry about that, Shialo. I'm messing with her again. Uh, she, she's a very gracious person, by the way. So uh, when I read this and it speaks of all Scripture, when it was written, the, you know, the New Testament had not even been comp compiled. It's speaking of the Old Testament. 
Okay? Some of us think, well, the New Testament's great, and the Old Testament, ooh, we don't know what to do with that. This, this is the New Testament speaking about the integrity of the Old Testament. It says this, all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. And a few verses later, it goes on to explain why it's so important that you and I learn to trust and obey and live out the teachings of this book. Because in verse 3 of chapter 4, a few verses later, it goes on and says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching like this. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. So the scripture is doing its own little myth buster thing here, prophetically, and saying, guess what? The day is coming when a whole lot of people aren't going to trust this book. It will not be vogue, popular. It will not be applauded by everybody around. Yeah, you, you believe what the Bible says. Now you will, be, you will be considered a dinosaur. That's what it's saying. And God just wants us to understand that you're not, and you're not crazy for believing this book. It's, it is, in fact, the word of God. Every word of it, it's God-breathed, and it's capable of transforming your life and making your 2020 a better 2020, a better year, and you a better you. It's the key to growth and godliness and spiritual training. This whole matter of the trustworthiness of Scripture has been on my mind for, uh, you know, through much of the sabbatical and, and, and really for years. But a few years ago, or a few months ago, I wrote, wrote this down, and I po- apologize in advance. I have to mute myself so I can cough. Okay? Apologize. About that. But I thought it was better than in the microphone. I want you to listen. This is something I, I wrote down as I was reflecting on this subject and this whole matter of is, is the Scripture trustworthy and what do I do? I mean, how, how do we respond when we look at Scripture and find something that is contrary, especially when I find something that's contrary to my life? This is what I wrote. Whenever I encounter a difficult passage in the Bible, I never say, I, I pers- never say, quote, Love your neighbor, unquote, is from God. But this other difficult part is not from God. It's man-made. It's a product of, you know, those, the writer's ancient, unenlightened culture. Therefore, it's not relevant or authoritative for my life or to today. Here's what it means to trust Scripture. When I differ with Scripture, when my life differs from Scripture... I must conclude that the Bible is right and my understanding is somehow wrong or uninformed. Are you tracking with me? This is the way, this is what it means to trust Scripture. When I differ with Scripture, I must conclude that the Bible is right and something about my understanding or my culture is wrong. Many in our day think that the Bible is wrong and that they, or the culture, is right. 
This renders scripture powerless and it elevates us as authors of our own edited Bible. As I reflected on this, it also renders scripture a commentary on life written by godly men. I mean, this is, on a practical level, this is how many, many churches, many people in our day view the Bible. They view it as this is a commentary written by godly men who meant well, but they, didn't, they're not, they weren't as smart as we are. They just didn't understand things like we understand it. And so consequently, you know, we give them a, a bit of a pass right now, but you know how that's going to be. Eventually, just, you know, if we're, if we're, you know, if we're taking down statues of uh, historical figures in the South, for example, what's one day going to happen in our culture with all those people who think this is antiquated and not relevant? Pretty soon, pretty soon the day will come that this is not, not kosher, not cool. That's what's going to happen. You and I have to understand that Scripture is God-breathed. It's the God-breathed instruction manual for righteous living. It's living food and water for the soul. It has the power to save and transform the lives of anyone who have the faith, anyone who has the faith to put it into practice. You have to understand, Scripture is not about believing it. It's about obeying it. It's about obeying it, which is part of what makes it tough. Because it's not politically correct. And it's not even consistent with my life all the time. And that makes it hard. That's also what makes it essential. We serve a righteous God who has communicated his wisdom and his expectations, his his way of being and living, and he wants us to head in that direction. He, he died on a cross because he knows that we are going to fall short. But that doesn't mean that we can like say, whoo, I got grace and I can do whatever I want to do and God's going to accept me. Um, that's naive. And it fails to honor and respect the holy and righteous God who says in this book, be holy because I'm holy. He has expectations. Which is just to come back to say, if 2020, if you and I are going to learn some new tricks in life, if we're going to do that in 2020, the reality is we're going to have to treasure time, we're going to have to train ourselves, and if we're going to succeed at training ourselves, it's going to be because we've trusted Scripture, we've taken it seriously, we're trying to obey it, even when we're failing, you just get up and dust yourself off and go at it again. That's, that is what God sent his son to make possible, you and me, and head in that direction. And I'll add this, and then I'll move on. He sent his spirit to fill you and to fill me to further make it possible. And let me just tell you, we have people running around today sometimes who claim to be spirit-filled, but they are not filled with this book. And I can just tell you, you can be filled with the Spirit and not be godly. 
and still go to church. God's saying, trust scripture, follow in my ways. For 2020 to be a new me kind of year, we gotta do that. A fourth resolution is that we've gotta try hard to live and relate and behave as the Bible specifically instructs. Look at verse 10, the first part of it. <coughs> Excuse me. It just says this. Paul, Paul's writing again. He's speaking to Timothy and just coaching him on how the kind of life that he's lived and the kind of life he's going to have to live if he's going to, going to walk with God and, and make his life count. He says, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. Now, let's just pause right there. What's Paul acknowledging here? The implication of what he's saying is, you know, that we've got to trust... We've got to trust Scripture, we've got to train ourselves, we've got to treasure time, and, and he's just saying, frankly, Timothy, it's going to be hard work. This is not going to be an easy thing. Goodness, godliness are not effortless. It's not a cakewalk to live contrary to the, to the character of a culture. That, that's not easy. It requires effort. It's interesting to me, the Greek word for struggle here in the text in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle. The, the word there is agonizomai. It's, it's the word that we get our English word. What's agonizomai sound like? Agony. So it sounds like agony. He's just saying this is not going to be easy. This is going to be agony. It's going to require suffering. It's going to be a fight. It, it, you will have to work hard. I was thinking about this last night. Uh, as uh, I watched the Patriots lose. <laughs> Sorry, Bob. Uh, Bob Priest, he's, he's our, our, our token uh, Patriots fan. So we love you, Bob. We'll pray for you. But I was watching last night, watching the game, and you know, the fourth quarter, and you have been, you know, the defense has just, they've, you know, the relentless running game. Uh, of the two, I mean, it was just punishing if you were on the Patriots and the Titans uh, running back Henry. He's just like a Mack truck running through the, through the line. And you know, the first quarter, you think to yourself, okay, I can do this, I can do this. Second quarter, you're thinking to yourself, I don't really like this very much, but you know, I can do it. Third quarter, you're thinking, where am I? What, what on earth am I doing? In the fourth quarter, you're thinking, you know, I, you know, going home at the end of this game, you know, the, not playing for the next couple of weeks, that's not so bad. That's what you think. I mean, why is that? Because it's a punishing, just a relentless fight. Friends, you've got to understand that if you and I are going to walk in righteousness, if we're going to walk in the path that God would have us to walk, if we're going to grow in godliness and goodness and, and love our neighbors ourselves, if we're going to be kind to those who persecute us or take advantage of us or these other things, it is not just going to happen. It's not. It's going to require effort, the expenditure of focus and time and attention and resources. and It's going to be a fight. And if you and I will fight the good fight, which Paul goes on in 2 Timothy 2 to talk about how he's done that, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, and now there is stored up for me a crown of righteousness. You get the picture? I mean, if you will fight the good fight, this is the good fight. We got people, sometimes Christians, fighting fights that aren't even good. It's not a good fight. 
It's a dumb fight, some of them. But this is a good fight, and God is saying, if you and I will, will fight the good fight, bring blessing into our lives now and for eternity. We've got to try hard. And the fifth resolution that we've got to make that, that flows out of this passage, we've got to trust God. 1 Timothy 4.10, this is why we work hard and continue to struggle for our hope. Our hope is in the fact that we have good health. So he says, our hope is in the fact that we've done really good planning and, and we've saved up for the future and we've, we've got all of our ducks. In, is that what he says? No. Our, our, our hope is in the fact that we have a stable and growing economy and, and you know, the, our place in the global economy and so forth is such that, that we're kind of on top in a lot of ways. And does he say that our hope is in the fact that uh, the Straits of Hormuz are open and, you know, the canals, the, the, the tanker ships can flow through there, the oil ship tankers, is that, is that where it's found? You know, I could go on with this. It's our hope in a benevolent government. It doesn't say any of those things because every one of those things and far more, the circumstances of life, circumstances and evil can rob you and me of all of those things and more, which is why the Bible repeatedly counsels each of us to put our hope and trust in God. Our hope is in the living God, not just God in some theoretical sense, but the living God who is alive and well and at work in your life and my life. And if I'm walking in step with the Spirit and His Word, He is going to show up in your finances. He is going to show up in your marriage. He is going to show up in your physiology and the way your body operates. He is going to answer prayer when you lift up prayer to Him with petition and prayer and you seek Him, you humble yourself before Him. He is going to show up because he's alive. Our hope is not in a dead God. Our hope is in a living God who is the savior of all mankind, all who will turn to him, particularly those of us who believe to the core of our being. You and I will put our trust, our hope in him. He will help us in 2020, regardless of who's elected, regardless of what happens in your business, regardless of what happens with your finances or your marriage or whether you sell your house or not or whether you, whatever happens, he promises to be with you in this life and long, long, far beyond that into eternity. So as we begin a new year, I just want to remind you afresh that if an old dog can learn new tricks, if he can change for the better, so can I. So can you. But we're going to need to treasure time. We're going to need to train ourselves. We're going to need to trust Scripture. We're going to have to try hard. It just isn't going to happen. We're going to have to trust God. And if we'll do that, it's the pathway to a me or new me kind of year that most of us want and need. We all need it, every one of us. So let's walk that way together. Let's stand together. We're going to close in prayer here in just a few moments. Before we pray, though,
I just want, want you to know if you, this whole idea of putting your hope in God, trusting God has a beginning point in, in everyone's life. It's when you and I look heavenward and just acknowledge that God, I've been living according to my wisdom, my ways, and frankly, God, that hasn't worked out very well. I recognize I'm a sinner. Forgive me, cleanse me, make me yours. I invite you into my body, soul, and spirit. Be, be mine. You're not asking him to do something that he doesn't want to do. You're asking him to do, in fact, what he's standing at the door of your heart, knocking, waiting to do. He's waiting to come in. This is why Jesus came and died on the cross. He did it because he was paying the penalty for your sins so that on the moment that you would, would come to sobriety of spirit to say, I am not I am not righteous, and one day I'm going to stand before a holy and righteous God. And you kind of go, ding. This is a problem. Yes, it is. But it's a problem that's already been taken care of if you will just look to the one who will save you and who died so that he could take your punishment upon himself so that you could receive the righteous blessing that he deserves. He shares it with you. He didn't have to, but he chose to because he cares. Because he recognizes our hopeless estate otherwise. And so it just begins when you and I just look heavenward and say, Lord Jesus, I need you. And maybe this morning as we're praying, you just need to say, Lord Jesus, 2020, I got clear vision finally. I've got clear vision on this. I need you. Here I am. Maybe some of you need to be baptized. You need to set aside, say, this is the time. Some of you may be thinking, what is baptism? Baptism is when you and I are lowered into the waters of baptism. That's our baptistry over there. We take the lids off, with the lid off. We got water in there. We just lower you under the water and raise you back up. It's, we don't hold you under the water. We just lower you under the water, raise you back up. What's that about? It's about you surrendering the one thing in this life that you control is this body and this mouth and this mind. You're, you're surrendering yourself, body, soul, and spirit in a symbolic act. You're going under the water, identifying with Jesus' death. You come up out of the water, identifying with his resurrection. And the promise of Scripture is the filling of the Holy Spirit, the cleansing of your sins, the, you know, the, the help of God in your life. All of that sort of wrapped up in that picture Jesus told his disciples, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them. This is not really like an optional kind of thing. I'll get around to that whenever I want to. Well, you know, Jesus. So one of the last things he told his disciples, he expects us to, to, to step in obedience with this. And so it's, you could argue it's, one of the, it's the very first step of obedience, you might argue, is to, is to surrender yourself to that. Believers throughout centuries have been doing it. Maybe some of us need to do that. And um, just come let us know if you need to be obedient in that. Maybe someone here today needs prayer for something else specific in your life. Just encourage you. Afterwards, we'll be done down here. Kind of pray for whoever, anything that needs to be prayed for or help you with those things. Last thing before I pray, just want to ask you to pray for our Hero Maker guys. We've got uh, 20-something guys going to Mexico, uh, some leaving tomorrow. Uh, some leaving Wednesday. We're going to be down there for uh, those who leave tomorrow, a week and a half, and um, be 
building a children's home at uh, a wonderful children's uh, home uh, a community down there. We're, we're very excited about it. We got a lot of work to do. Keep Rocky in your prayers, who leads Hero Makers. Rocky had a stroke here uh, a few weeks back and is is uh, battling that. And so, it's needless to say, without a lot of words, I mean, it's just a little complicated because some of us are doing things that normally he would be doing to kind of make it all work. So. Just pray for God's presence, for his favor, for uh, things to work like clockwork. Pray for healing for Rocky and for Sherry, for strength. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll appreciate I know they'll appreciate that. And last thing I'd say, if you're new here, hope you'll stop by the lobby on your way out to do two things. Um, grab one of these lovely mugs. It's a little Southwoods Christian Church celebrating 30 years. We're beginning the process this year of celebrating 30 years of ministry as a church. And, uh, you know, we've got these back there, not just for the newcomer. If you've been around here, you can get one too. But, uh, but particularly if you're new, we want to invite you to grab one. And uh, hopefully I can meet you. I will not shake your hand or hug you. None of those kind of things. I might elbow bump you or fist bump you, but most I'd say hi. All right. Let's pray. And then uh, we'll be dismissed. Glad you made it this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so appreciative of your mercy. Thank you for your word that says your mercies are new every morning. And as we begin a new year, your mercies are new at the beginning of every new year. How grateful we are. We ask for your presence in our lives. Lord Jesus, we just look heavenward and we think, who would, who would I be? Who would we be without you? Where would our world be if it wasn't for your goodness there would be no hospitals. There, there would be no charitable organizations doing anything. It would just all be selfishness and self-centeredness all the time. And we got plenty of that in our world right now. And if it wasn't for your faithfulness, it would, we would just be overrun with evil. And we're so grateful that you're at work in our world restraining evil in us and in our world, our culture. Ask God that you would, that you would take up more and more real estate, more residence in my soul, in our souls, in this church. That everything that you dream of happening in your church and in your world and in our lives would come to pass. We know your dreams and visions for us are far beyond ours. We're, we're little children that settle for making mud pies sometimes and think that's great fun when the truth of the matter is Disney World is out there and there's all these other kinds of things that they would never see apart from all of us who are adults. And God, there's so much more to what you dream of our lives and spiritual life being that we just have no grasp of apart from you. And help us to learn to trust and see that you're the living God among us in 2020. Would you help us to be faithful? Help us to be found faithful, Lord. Help us to be successful in the things that we do as a church and as individuals in spite of our unfaithfulness at times, in spite of our shortcomings and weaknesses. And God, we promise to give you all credit, all praise, all glory, because we recognize what your word says, that nothing good, there is no goodness apart from you. It all comes down from you. So, Lord, as we leave this place, would you, would you walk with us? Would you guide our steps? Would you help us to, to train and trust and try and to follow together you? 
Be with our Hero Maker guys. Pray for healing for Rocky. Pray for others among us who have needs. We're grateful for you. Hear our prayers. We lift all this in the name of Jesus. And everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. Bless you all.